Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Thursday, January the 11th. And today we're going to talk about the border and the situation developing at the border, which is, of course, getting more and more complicated uh, uh, because now we have a new player in the debate, uh, not just Governor Abbott and the president of the United States, but now we have the president of Mexico. Uh, expressing what he wants, and uh, it's extremely interesting. So let's say hello to our friend Alan Wall joining us uh, once again. Alan, welcome. Uh, how is the weather up there? It's uh, mostly cold, and it gets warmer, but I hear uh, in a few days we're really going to get hit hard, it sounds like. Yes, yes, and here in North Texas, we're going to get a real storm. But I do plan to watch the Cowboys game, which is why I'm wearing my uh, – my cowboy's jacket, jacket yeah uh in 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 a very partisan display of support <laughs> here for the cowboys so uh, okay, i hope great. they win but it, it's gonna i mean you know these playoff games are always you never know what's gonna happen you know a team comes in and they may have a lower record but they may come in with the right mojo and you know, you know how it is you just have surprises and uh, so we'll see. But anyway, Alan, I know we've had you many times uh, on the podcast and now on the video cast, but give us a little update. What are you up to these days? What are you writing? Well, I'm still uh, writing uh, Border Hawk News, which, by the way, is a very great source for uh, what's happening on the border. It's updated daily. Uh, and also VDARE. And, but I'm also working on a new project a new website that I want to have uh, strictly about Mexico, just have news from Mexico, uh, you know, translations of articles from Mexico and, and things that maybe don't get covered in the uh, mainstream media. I feel like, I, I feel like we need better coverage of, of Mexican news yeah. in the United States. Oh, I agree with you. And in fact, that's how we met. If you remember. Yes. Through, uh, Bernard Thompson. Right, and right. his website, and I was trying to remember. I lost the name of the website all of a sudden. What was that website uh, called? Mexidata Info. Right, Mexidata Info, and uh, yeah. he, I thought he did a really nice job of of uh, doing that, where he would, you know, translate or have things in English. Yes, uh, which would be very easy, of course, to read for Americans up here. I mean, there are many Spanish sources, of course, the Mexican of course, press. Yes. But uh, to have something in English, I, th I thought Mr. Thompson did a fabulous job. Oh, yes. And, and I once a week. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's how you and I met. Uh, hard to right. believe Bush was president when you and I met. Wow. So we go back a few years, don't we? Yeah, that's hard to believe. Yeah, that is hard to believe. Uh, yeah, I remember our first chat, uh, I think, had to do something with the Medida plan. So oh, we're dating yeah. we're dating ourselves a little bit. Yeah. Going back to President Calderon and and President George W. Bush. So it's been a it's wow. been a while, but I I really hope your project works out because I would be one of the people who would read it and follow you daily because I that is exactly what is missing. What is missing is a source of of you know good English news about Mexico. There are some newspapers, of course, that do that. Uh, New York Times and Reuters does that too. But, right. but I, I think what you're thinking about, I hopefully, hopefully uh, it works out. And I like to, 
you know, I like to, I like you to keep up with, or at least let me know what's going on with that project because I think it's a tremendous idea, Alan. Okay, I'll let you know. I'm we're working on it right now, and I'd like to get it rolling, and then you know, start, you know, gradually getting into it because I just think uh, we need, you know, more people need to understand Mexico more in the United mm. States. A lot of times, it's just. Well, I mean, there's some good coverage, you know, but it just not doesn't cover the whole the whole panorama no. of what's happening there. No, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, and I I um, I know that there was this lady in Mexico, Teresa Margolis, who was doing that yes. website, Paul's News Mexico. But something's happened to that website. They're not updating. Uh, I hope everything is going OK. But that was a very interesting source of news. Right. For me, I would check that. I would check that every yeah. day. Hopefully that website comes back because they had daily contributors and they had a lot of interesting information about Mexico in English. Yes. Which really made it uh, made it worthwhile. Well, Alan, with respect to the border, uh, I, I think there's three players here, if I could use that word. You've got President Biden and the federal government. Then you have Governor Abbott and the state of Texas. And now a new player in this scene, and that's uh, the president of Mexico, Lopez Obrador, who really got into it. I, I was not expecting that, but he really put some demands on the table. So let's talk first about President Biden. Uh, I cannot believe how the federal government is allowing this to go the way. I mean, I nobody has been... I have not seen a logical explanation of what's happening on the border. Uh, you know, even if you want to be more humanitarian, I'm not sure this is the best way to do it. And the idea of bringing people into the country with a little piece of paper to see a judge in five years, that just doesn't make any sense to me. That's not how I came to the United States, for sure. So I, how, how, what is going on with the federal government and, and your opinion and the border, this complete disregard of, of anything logical on the border, Alan? Well, I mean, it, it started, you know, it's, it started when Biden came into office and, and he has, you know, his people like Mayorkas, they, they, they say the border is secure and they're letting in people and they release them all over the place, you know, and they're, they're finding all these uh, sketchy ways to bring people in like with parole and, uh, you know, phony asylum claims. It's uh, it's it's just astounding if you if you look at it. And I believe that the public, the, well, the polls I've seen, it's it's not it's not popular with the public. No, not at all. In fact, if you look at, you know, when they do these polls, they break him down by issues. Yes. And uh, he's like 30, 40 points down. Wow. On just the border. I mean, it's like 70, 30. Right. That's about the way it breaks down now. He also has a, a huge problem, Alan, with Democrat mayors who didn't realize that being a sanctuary city meant that people were actually going to come. Right. Uh, I mean, it's kind of I mean, I, I laugh a little bit because it's hard to I mean, they had no idea what they were getting into. They thought it was it was a great political slogan. And, and then all of a sudden there's people showing up and they go, wait a minute, I didn't know this was part of the act, you know. And so exactly. it's, it's funny in that sense, but it's killing New York and Chicago to right. just, just and, to say. And it shows their hypocrisy because, uh, you know, the mayor of New York City, he he complains about Texas sending people. Well, what about Texas? You know, 
Texas is bearing the brunt of it more than any other state. And yet they don't care about that. It's just, you know, the NIMBY, not in my backyard. And and Arizona, too. Yes, uh, yes. Arizona is uh, is yeah, taking it very hard, too. Uh, in fact, uh, their hospitals on the border are pretty much out of business because of the, you know, they just cannot keep up uh, with providing local residents hospital services. Right. So, right. I mean, it's a chaotic situation. You know, the closest thing to this that I remember, and maybe you remember this, back in April of 1980, you had something called the Mariel boat lift. Yeah. And, but that was, you know, that was a little bit like this too, in the sense that people were just coming, but that was a hundred thousand people over roughly two or three weeks, maybe four weeks. And, you know, the Carter administration stopped it and president Reagan, you know, made it very clear to Castro, this will not happen again. Okay. And so Castro never did it again. But that's the closest thing um, that I can remember like this, where about 100,000 people came in, now Cubans like I am, but they came in and 80% of them were fine people. Maybe 90% of them were fine people. I mean, they've settled into, into the country, and I know some of them personally. Uh, a newspaper publisher here in the area was one of them, and I believe uh, several others in Miami, uh, successful business people and entrepreneurs and politicians. But that's the, the closest thing I can remember to this. Uh, I have never seen it on the border like this before, Alan. You study the border more than me. Has there has anything like this ever happened before? Not at this level. I mean, you know, we've had surges before, but wow, this is just nonstop for several years. It's just astounding. And And if you see where they're from, too, they're from all over the world. And that leads me to another point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because in the past, most of them were Mexicans. Right. Or Central Americans. Yeah. But the Mexicans would come over, cross the border, work, maybe send money back. Uh, but look, it was illegal, we know. But it was not as chaotic as this is. Right. right. I mean, that's the difference. I mean, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s and so on. You had, you know, waves of people, but it wasn't like a caravan. It was generally people coming in individually or maybe coming yeah. in, in a group of three or four. But they were not, it was not chaotic. It was illegal, yes, but it was not chaotic like this, Alan. Right, right. Now, right. Oh, yeah, just astounding when you see the, in the pictures. Yeah, and, and then when, when you hear... Tony Gonzalez, uh, representative from the border, Republican, and Henry Cuellar, who's Democrat from the border, you know, they say something like 80% of these asylum requests are going to be denied or something like that, that, you know, they're, they're not even going to make it, most of these people. So we're bringing them in, and we know that 80% are going to be rejected. So what do you do after that, Alan? You're going to deport them? The question is, would they be deported? I, I don't think the administration has any plans to because they believe once they get in here, they will not be deported. And they're probably right. I don't know how they get deported because, uh, I mean, the ones that do show up, I guess we'll get a letter saying yeah. you didn't make it. But the 80 percent 
70% that don't show up, I don't know where you find them. I don't know how they're controlling these people. I don't know if they're leaving a forwarding address. I wouldn't think that's very reliable, though, forwarding address. I I wouldn't, you know, uh, I wouldn't bank on, on that address being very reliable five or six years from now. So it's just an absolute mess. Now, Governor Abbott has signed this new law, the SB4. I'm sure you're familiar with that, where they're talking about arresting the people who don't come in through the ports of entry. It's not everybody, just the people who come in. And that is now, the federal government is now suing uh, Texas. What do you think about that? Well, the yes, uh, and the problem is uh, the federal government is not doing its job, so Texas has to step up. So this is bringing a real uh, constitutional conflict. But I think Abbott's right to do something. I agree. And and I was talking to someone from Telemundo the other day. He was asking me about it. And I said, look, I understand it's a radical approach, meaning uh, for a state government to do what Governor Abbott has signed. But, you know, the situation is drastic. Drastic times. And, yes. and that's right. And and think of all those ranchers on the border. I mean, you, you used to write about stuff like that. All, all the right, ranchers right. on the border. Uh, the small towns on the border. Yeah. I read that uh, the city, uh, the police chief at Eagle Pass, he had spent his whole budget like in the first 90 days. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. Right, right. And, right. and, and like that, that, you mentioned Arizona, you know, that, that, that town, Loopville, that's just been, you know, under siege. My son and I went there about 13 months ago and that is a small place. It's not a big, you know, facility. And we we drove, we were in Sonora, drove about 120 miles, and we just came into the United States at Lukeville. And wow, I, I don't know how they can handle all that rush well, that they're having there now. No, I agree. And the big problem in Arizona, from what I'm hearing, is that the, the local services have just been exhausted. Well, yeah. Uh, you have to understand, too, and I'm sure you know this, that Arizona is a, a smaller state than Texas. I mean, population, that is. Right, it's a much right. smaller economy. I mean, uh, I'm going to I don't mean to be disrespectful to the good people of Arizona, but I I think the entire GDP of, of Arizona is probably maybe the size of Austin, Texas or the Dallas Fort Worth area. I mean, it's be, not a yeah, big state. And so they don't have uh, a lot of resources. Now, I was at, I was being asked by some of the people here locally, and I want to get your reaction to this, of how the Supreme Court is going to deal with this. And I said, be careful what you wish for, because the argument that Texas is making is a pretty sound argument. Texas is yes. saying, we understand that this is your job, but you're not doing it, so we have to do it. That's basically the argument. And I don't know. The Supreme Court may look at that and say, you know what? We see the pictures on TV, too. You're right. Right. Because constitutionally, it's the federal government's job to protect us from invasion. What if they don't? That's why we have a constitution, you know. Uh, So the federal government has certain prerogatives. But what if they don't carry those out? Right. But there is there is something I've heard. Maybe you're familiar with this. But there is something that Governor Abbott keeps talking about, and that is there's some article 
in the Constitution, the federal Constitution, that grants states, you know, these kinds of rights to defend themselves. I'm not exactly sure where it is in the Constitution, but the governor keeps talking about that, that right. he had. That there's something in the federal constitution that says it's an exception state. clause. Okay, for if you're under attack, if you're under invasion, yeah. So it's the exception clause in the federal yeah. government or in the federal constitution. And do you know the history of it at all? I'm just curious. Well, I guess they just put it in there when it was drafted, and uh, but it was never really an issue till now. You right. know, we haven't and, really been in this situation. Right, exactly. But I think it was probably put in there. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, but I think it was probably put in there to satisfy some of the state's rights. Oh, yeah. Back then, you know, when it was right. being written. I think Because some of the people, yeah, I mean, some of the states, they thought the, the Constitution, even though it's limited government, it was too much even for them. So they wanted to have that in there, you know, right. for the states. Well, that's why they put the Bill of Rights, you know, because yeah. they, they wanted right. that in there as well. So it's called the Exception Clause. Okay. Well, I'm, that, I'm, that's what I'm calling it. I, there may be another term for it, but but it is in there. I've seen it in there. I've yeah. A couple of art. I can't remember exactly the exact reference, but I've written some articles and referred to it. It, it. But it's definitely in there. Yeah, and that's what the governor is basing his whole argument on. Right. Uh, he's basically saying, "Look, I got to do this because you're not doing your part." That's right. kind of what. That's a good I, case, I think. Right. I think it's a good case, and it and. You know, everybody keeps saying, "Well, it's going to go to it's going to go to the Supreme Court." Yeah, you might regret that it did. It goes because I this is a, a a very conservative court, but it's also a very constitutional court, I think. And you might have six judges, or at least five, I think six, who look at this and go, "Yeah, but you know, what are you going to do if you're right. Texas and you know you it's costing you money? This is costing a lot of money, Alan." Uh, here in Texas. I mean, it's, it's a big expenditure. Well, the other player in the, in the border novela, if I could put it that way, is our good friend, uh, President Lopez Obrador of Mexico. As you know, the Biden administration sent a delegation down there, and Lopez Obrador said, well, yeah, I mean, i like to help you, but you got to, I guess, legalize 10 million people up here. You've got to, uh, um, I guess, send $20 billion to, to Latin American countries. And then you have to drop the embargo against Cuba yeah. and drop the sanctions against Venezuela. Yeah. Wow. And I would love to have been in that room because I have a feeling that Blinken and Mallorca were not expecting that. I'm guessing, but I, I don't believe they went to Mexico to hear that. I really don't. Well, no, no. Huh. Yes, he's very demanding, but it fits in with things he said in the past. Anyway, sometimes I read his his morning press conferences. Well, it's amazing some of the stuff he'll say. It, it's just, and it's he seems to be getting more unhinged as he reaches the end of his uh, his term. You know. Yeah, it, it probably. I mean, I don't follow him every day, but I I I, I can tell you that. All the people I know in Mexico are scared to death of him. For some reason, they they see him as a bit of a of a crazy guy. Yeah. Uh, 
And so I don't know. I mean, there's even fears that he's not going to leave the presidency. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, we we went to Spain last March and some people in Spain were talking about him. They did not have a good opinion of him either. They like Mexicans, but they didn't uh, care much for the the AMLO presidency. Well, (laughs) he's he's a character now. He's very charismatic. You know, it's funny because when I went to Mexico the last time, which was Christmas 2021, uh, and we were there, and I was talking to an old friend, and he said Lopez Obrador and ba- and Trump are the same personalities. Oh. <laughs> That's what he was saying, that they're both yeah. the personalities, maybe not the, right, the way, right. but their personalities, they love to be the center of attention, Yeah, and they want to be the king of the of the party or the, you know, whatever the word is. And, uh, I don't know, but there are times when he does remind me of Trump yeah. in the sense that he's very outspoken and, and so on. But I mean, the four things that he's demanding, Alan, let, let's go through them and let's start with Venezuela sanctions. Uh, I, first, I'm not even sure the president can do that on his own. Uh, maybe he can release some sanctions, but I think that's a congressional action as I, as I understand it, uh, Alan. Yeah, I mean, that, it, it's just crazy, you know, for, for him to say that. It, right. He's telling us how to run our foreign policy. Right. He's also forgetting to, to say that the reason Venezuela is such a basket case is, is because of the policies. Uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, this was a very prosperous country. Right. It's and now they're all falling apart. So maybe... Uh, instead of blaming our sanctions, maybe he can say something about Maduro. Right, right. But Alan, and that you- takes me to, forgive me for saying this or interrupting you, but this takes me to my next point. He loves dictators, left-wing dictators. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Fidel. And- yes. Yeah. The guy from Cuba, the Escanel. Uh, he got into a fight with Peru because his yep. guy was replaced. So he has a real charm for left-wing dictators. Oh, yes, of course. Now, a lot of my Mexican friends have told me over the years that they do that for public consumption in Mexico, that they want to keep the left in Mexico happy, so they embrace people like Castro and these others just so that the left in Mexico doesn't criticize them. I don't know how valid that is, but that's what I had always heard. I think that's part of it. And I also think it's to show their independence from the United States. They're saying, hey, look, we can be buddies with, uh, you know, Cuba and Venezuela. I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, they can say, you know, we can be, we're a sovereign country, you know. Yeah. We can have relations with whoever you want, whether you like it or not. Now, Cuba, the embargo, the problem with uh, Lopez Obrador, obviously, he probably knows, but but he's not saying it. The problem is the the reason for the embargo was because Cuba had stolen all these American properties oh, yeah. or the Cuban government. Right. So the the way that the embargo is crafted or the, the wording is Cuba would have to compensate these investors. They don't have any money to do that. And on top of that, they would have to have elections and, and make some. Oh, well. So yeah. you can forget that one. I mean, that's, he doesn't have the votes. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't have the votes to do that. So uh, I think those two are 
as uh, there's an expression in, Sp in Cuban Spanish or in Cuban talk. My mother and my father would use it all the time. It's when you speak to the gallinero. Gallinero is where all the chickens are. You know how, how they all stand up. And uh, sometimes when you're just speaking to the public or in mass, you just say things like this because you're going to get a, a reaction from the audience, but you know you can't do anything about it. You just get a reaction. And I think that these this is just Lopez Obrador with Cuba and Venezuela. This is Lopez Obrador sort of projecting himself as a third world leader, which is what I think he wants to do after he leaves office, Alan. I bet you, I think you're right. I think you're right. Be like a Mandela or Gorbachev or these these people that are considered elder statesmen of the left. <laughs> Mandela comes to mind because uh, what he's done, what they've done to South Africa is a oh, disaster. Right. I mean, he can't even <coughs> can't even mention it. Now, oh, the yeah. other two things, the other two things that he wants, twenty billion dollars for, for I guess the countries in the region. First of all, I mean. Honestly, $20 billion, I mean, if you're really going to do it, it would take a lot more than $20 billion. I don't know. It right. seems to me. It seems he, he just threw that figure out there. But if you really, I mean, I remember when President Reagan had something called the Caribbean Basin. You may remember that. Yes, yes. From the yes. 1980s. But that was not about giving people money. That was about encouraging American companies to invest mm, and yeah. create manufacturing operations in these That's countries. Better. That's and that's probably a better idea, but that takes time. You know, it's not something you, not something you, uh, you do, uh, you do right away. Well, tell me, what do you think of the ten million that he wants to legalize? Well, it's it's. I mean, it's kind of typical that Mexican government always is trying to get the United States to have an amnesty, and it's just pretty typical, you know. But once again, he's meddling in our, you know, sovereign immigration policy but that never stopped him before right but why don't i mean just out of curiosity <laughs> this is just obviously your your opinion why didn't he do that with trump when trump went to see him uh, well it's i mean what, what did trump say to him that his reaction was totally different trump went he, to see him and his reaction was okay uh let's do stay in mexico so it, Trump must have must have told him some consequences that Blinken and Mallorca didn't tell him, Alan. Oh, it's astounding to see the difference, the way he treated Trump. You know, uh, actually, I, I was following it. He never, as president, as far as I could find, he was very complimentary of Trump. He got along very well with Trump. And he, and he did what Trump said when, you know, Trump, uh, he threatened Mexico with the tariffs, uh, and so they immediately fell into line and they they actually were able to reduce the the flow of people, you know, non-Mexicans passing through Mexico and do uh, remain in Mexico. It's just astounding. But now under Biden, I, I think it's because American leadership makes a great difference. And, but it depends on what kind of American leadership. Right. And, you know, getting back to that Merida plan that President Bush and Calderon negotiated, I think that was, again, Calderon understood that Bush was serious yeah, and that, uh, you know, he, he wanted to help Mexico, but he was serious about, about the problem. Now, there's also, and, and I, I don't know how true this is, but I understand that 
people say, people say, I, I should I should emphasize that, people say that President Trump had also warned him about a couple of other things. Putting a tax on remittances and uh, doing naming these cartels as terrorist groups. Oh, yeah. It's creating more options for the president. Do you believe that? That again, I I was neither one of us was there at those meetings, but do you believe that that's the way Trump approached it, saying, "Hey, look, I got options and I can play them." So yeah, play I with me, play with me, and we can fix this. But play against me, and I can play against you. Do you, Do you I, think that's probably probably what probably happened? Probably one way or another. I I I wouldn't uh, dare to say how he did it, but somehow he did it. Or yeah, he gave he, that impression. He got Remain in Mexico in play, which I think turned out to be an excellent program. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. When I talk to Mexicans, they're angry that their country has been turned into like a highway to come to the United States. Yeah. They don't like that either. Right. Oh, and you have those guys, they riot and they, they cause trouble. It's just amazing. Yeah. And and then there's also another unintended consequence of the border, the border policy. Uh, look what's happening in Ecuador. Oh, that's uh, terrible. Where, yeah. Where, where you basically have, you know, these, these gangs, you know, you know, on yeah. the streets and the country is in almost a, a state of, it is emergency, I guess, a state yeah. of emergency. And so to me, that's related to the border crisis because I think the border crisis and has, I'm not saying this was the intention, but the cartels have clearly benefited from it. Oh, yes. Yeah, I right. agree. And, and it's a yeah. hemispheric, it's the whole hemisphere. It's not just U.S.-Mexico border, but it, it has effects all, all up and down the hemisphere. Oh, absolutely. Because you have, you know, Ecuador elected a right center uh, president who I think is a very good man who could be like the one in El Salvador who's cleaned up that country. Yeah. I mean, that country is, is, That's is pretty is astounding. Astounding how he's cleaned up the country. And that should be the model, frankly, that we should be supporting in the United States. Instead of, you know, flirting with these left-wing dictators, let's support the right center Democrats because they're Democrats. I mean, these people are elected. Right. Uh, and we should be supporting, we supporting that. Well, Alan, I know we've gone through a lot of things and our time is almost up, but anything else that we missed that you wanted to say uh, about the situation? I I think I've well, gone through all my notes, but uh, I'm sure there's always something that I left out. Well, I'm, I'm sure uh, we got a, it's going to be an interesting year because you've got all this stuff on the border. You got the Mexican election, the U.S. election. Who knows what, you know, in a year, who knows what we're going to be talking about? It's just, uh, it's going to be an interesting year one way or another, I think. I agree with you there. I, I don't, I'm not sure who knows what we're going to be talking about in 30 days because things are oh, so no. fluid. <laughs> you know, things are so fluid. And we have not heard, speaking of the Mexican election, I have not heard of any violence. I don't know if you have. No, I haven't. Uh, in the Mexico election, but I expect some. Yeah, I expect some because I, I, I do think that let, let me just say this and tell me if you think this is true. I saw on a Mexican website a study that said that 81 percent of the Mexican territory was under the control 
cartels. They don't call it cartels, but criminal elements. Do you right. think that's true? Now, I've seen stuff like true? that too. I think, yeah, yeah, probably. It, I guess because it's sort of like it. It it exists in two different levels. On the one level, you have the, you know, the legitimate government and everything, and then you have the the cartels. And so. I had a Mexican friend uh, say to me when I told him that about the 81%, he says, that sounds exaggerated. Uh, and I said, okay, well, what, what figure do you think it is? Yeah, what and would he, he say? And he really didn't know what figure. He said uh, it was yeah. maybe too much. But I think what we have to understand is that when we say 81%, or at least when this article said 81%, it's, that's a lot of open space. Yeah. You know, it, it's not population centers. Right, right, right. Uh, in other words, I still think the government controls the cities and the population centers. It's when you get out of that. Yeah. When you start driving through the interior and you get into these small towns, that may be where the, the criminal elements have more influence. That's my guess. That's my guess uh, from all of this. Well, Alan, my gosh, every time we talk, the time flies, but it's a great pleasure uh, to chat with you. I hope that uh, you are ready for what appears to be a winter weekend. We're going to have a lot of, well, here in the area, they're talking about some precipitation Sunday night and into Monday. Good news is that Monday's a holiday for most people, so they're not going to have to go to work. But on Tuesday, what they're projecting here is temperatures like uh, under 10 degrees. Right, yeah. And like, I mean... You feel like you're in Chicago. I yeah. mean, those kinds of temperatures. So I assume it'll be not much different for you guys up there. Right, right. Yeah. So we got to stock up in case we get stuck in the house a while. Uh, uh, on the on the farm, you got to break the ice for the livestock, you know, so they can. Right. Yeah. Those, some of those things that uh, we take for granted in the cities. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we assume that we just have we just go to Seven Eleven and buy milk. Right, <laughs> we think it's that easy, but I I can tell you that it's going to be cold, and I just uh, oh you know, yeah, I wish you, yeah. I wish you and your family. I know that here, what drives what makes everything freaky in the Dallas area or North Texas is the ice. Yes, I can handle yes. the temperature. Right, you can just the dress ice. up. Right. But yeah, but when you get ice on the roads, uh, this this part of the world just goes goes into a state of panic, and the best thing to do is just to stay home. Right. Now, now I always hear that you know if you go farther north, they're better prepared for it and they can handle more of it. Well, I but, know that from personal experience because I lived in Wisconsin and I right, lived in Maryland. That's right. You know about that. Yeah. Yeah, and I can tell you that that's exactly true. Uh, when you're up in Wisconsin, well, first of all, people are more accustomed to it. Yes, of so, course. I mean, they don't freak out when they get a snowstorm. Right. Because they right. have them all winter. And But you're right. They are usually quicker and better prepared. I think they have more equipment, actually, too. That, too. You're right. And uh, so I think they're better prepared for it. I think people know how to drive in the snow better. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably true. Heard, up yeah. north, they're better. But, but. I, we're not in Texas, even though despite all the best of intentions, they were showing. Uh, so in the newscast <laughs> today, they were showing these trucks getting ready to go out. So 
we do a great job of preparing, but uh, the the ice always beats us. Yeah. <laughs> the ice yeah. has more willpower than we do, I guess. Uh, so I, I say I don't care how cold it gets as long as we don't get ice. That's, that's my – when I pray to God, that's what I say. God, I don't care how cold you make it. Just don't give us any ice. That's the difficulty right there, yes. That's the difficulty. Well, Alan, have a great weekend, and I hope the Cowboys win. Okay, go Cowboys. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. Our good friend, uh, Alan Wall. Alan has his own website, as well as we heard in the, during the conversation that he's planning to do a website about Mexico. I'm really looking forward to that. I hope uh, I hope that's a good project for him because we need a good English-speaking website uh, to talk about what's happening in Mexico and, you know, a lot of stuff happening on the border. So it's it's going to be a tense issue here, I think, for quite some time. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>